0: Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast,
1: Brian Peter Angelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, June 10th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, And in case you didn't know, just as a fun fact, today is National Iced Tea Day. My preference is the Arnold Palmer type mix of half iced tea and half lemonade. Really hits a spot on a nice summer day. Here we are in June. So with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide a refreshing take on this week's market activity. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on Key.com slash Wealth Insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So the market's been a little choppy this week with uh, declines up until Thursday and an expected decline here on Friday morning. The economic releases that came out were twofold. One, the initial unemployment claims that came out Thursday morning. Again, that number comes out every week with a slight tick up of about 27,000 initial claims for the week ending June 4th. That number is now at around 229,000 for the week. So we look at that number because it's been fairly steady. If you go back to pre-pandemic levels, it was around that 200,000 level. So at 229, it's still consistent with being low, but at the same time is beginning to tick up. So it's a number that we're gonna watch. In addition, the four-week average of that number is around 215,000. Again, fairly consistent. The real real number is the inflation print from the consumer price index that came out today, this morning. So the numbers were a little bit higher than expected, which again is worse for the economy as inflation continues to be on the minds of everybody, including the Federal Reserve and consumers. So with that particular number going up 1% month over month, and then 12 months year over year going up 8.6%, was higher than expected because we had the initial decline last month, which gave us the possibility of thinking that inflation might be peaking. This read negates that with, again, going up in the opposite direction. So from an overall consideration, George, as we begin to have our conversation on today's podcast, we think about the implications for inflation with regard to the economy, with regard to the bond market, with regard to the stock market and with regard to the Federal Reserve's policy. What are your thoughts here on inflation, George? So you're
2: absolutely right, Brian. I mean, it's,
1: it's been a week of
2: Not much new news to talk about other than what's happened this morning with respect to the inflation headlines. Interestingly, the uh, Department of Labor talked about the fact that inflation has now soared over 8.5%, which is the fastest pace since, I guess, it's May of 81. And uh, in terms of some of the detailed numbers um, that you mentioned, just to elaborate on the point, the overall inflation print was about 1% um, uh, month over month. I think the consensus is about 70 basis points, so consensus was a bit shy. Um, and then the core level, when you take out food and energy, it was also a bit hot to expect, which is probably the more worrisome number, I guess, in the sense that I think people kind of thought that the overall headline print would be a little bit hot. It's not surprising, in the sense, that, and then on one level, in the sense that um, you know the situation in Russia and the invasion of Ukraine, uh, along with some tightness in the commodity markets, uh, would suggest that overall inflation has been running hot for a while, and people are expecting that. But I think when you look at some of the, the details. Some online components were a bit, um, bit harder expected. So, the bottom line, I guess, is that really um, the, the, the inflation situation is just running way too high. Um, the Fed has to try to get really focused and will probably be very aggressive. So, any thoughts of, of the Fed going less than 50 basis points and raising rates um, when they get together soon uh, is kind of thrown out the window. I think the notion that um, maybe inflation might be peaking, I think, uh, got delayed at least for sure. You know, there were some some lingering effects, I guess, with respect to playing catch up from some of the disruptions around COVID and things like that. But bottom line, again, inflation is just stickier than probably people hoped it would be. Um, Again, looking at some of the details, used car prices, I think, were kind of surprisingly hot. Uh, They actually had been ticking down a little bit. Um, Airfare, not surprisingly, but I think just the the magnitude of the increase was pretty startling. Um, Actually, April's um, month-over-month gain in airfare was some 19% higher, People thought that might actually come down a little bit, but actually picked up again in May. So on a month-over-month uh, month basis, uh, airfares were up some 13%. And then again, even some things kind of that are getting less press perhaps around inflation also are pretty hot in terms of um, you know, things at, at uh, medical, care, medical expenses, for example, uh, rent, and housing, things like that were also pretty um, pretty hot as well. So bottom line, inflation is here for sure. I think it'll be kind of curious to see what the Fed does with this a little bit because they look at another indicator of inflation called PCE or personal consumption indicators, uh, expenditures rather, and um, there'll be some differences there, but I think the overall CPI number are ones that people pay attention to. It's front and center in the media. And again, as we've said here now, it's pretty um, pretty um, pretty hot. So I guess, Rajiv, as we think about what the Fed might be doing with this, uh, it seems to me that it's a foregone conclusion that they're gonna have to continue, continue to be quite aggressive with respect to interest rates.
3: You agree? Well, you said it, George. I mean, uh, I agree with you. Headline and core CPI both exceed expectations. Uh, And if you see inflation climbing to another fresh 40-year high at 8.6%, like you mentioned, uh, year over year, that continues to put pressure on the Fed. Uh, The problem here is that you have a Fed that remains behind the curve. And any thoughts of the Fed pausing in September seem to be off the table. It's a clear negative for risk markets. This means that more pain for bond markets as yields are moving higher post the print. Uh, credit spreads are wider across the investment grade sectors. Uh, the market is now fully pricing in three half point rate hikes in the coming months. So that would be 50 basis point hike in June, 50 basis points in July, and 50 basis points in September. Uh, there were some thoughts, like you mentioned, that September might have been a pause, but I don't see that happening now. And Fed Funds Futures now showed an 80% chance of a 50 basis point uh, hike in September. And that was 60 base, uh, 60% right before the CPI print. So it has jumped. We even see a 30% chance right now that there could be a 75 basis point rate hike in July instead of 50 basis points. So another thing we have to monitor, because 75 basis points were off the table for a long time, that's creeping up to around 30% for uh, July. Overall, the market rate expectations for this year, they've increased, there's a new high there. The expectation now is that the Fed will move more than 200 basis points in the next five meetings, pushing the benchmark rate to about uh, 3% by December.
2: So I think we have to be, be mindful of the fact that at some point, inflation could collapse a little bit under its own weight. I mean, at some point, demand destruction will start um, becoming a reality, meaning that prices will become so high that people will start altering their spending habits. Uh, maybe they won't take that trip after all. Maybe they'll actually have a staycation instead of a vacation. So Steve, what do you see on the demand destruction side? Are we seeing it? Are we haven't reached that point yet or are we getting close to it at all?
4: So on the side for gasoline and in terms of Things that we live with and see every day, barely. <laughs> you know, now that the now that the U.S. prices for nationwide average have hit five dollars for the first time, we are starting to see a very little bit of it. But you know, quite frankly, consumers up to this point have uh, have not backed off of consumption of those types of goods whatsoever. There's been a lot of accessing of credit. Uh, in order to to maintain living standards and not in the face of this, uh, but but clearly we haven't seen it yet. You know, I think that the area where we have seen some 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 troubling signs is in the diesel fuel area. Uh, diesel fuels in short supply not only in the US but also in Europe. It's starting to impact supply chains here because uh, there's a there's problems pushing pricing pressure for diesel through, uh, th- on on the cost side, um, simply because the the move, the move has been so massive on a year over year basis that there's a lot of resistance to it so you know whether or not we we see that kind of start to flow through to to store shelf availability I think is a real question mark as we get into the back end of the year. It really gets to your question, George, about you know well is there um, some type of you know self rein or recalibrating a nature to what's going on in terms of the inflation situation and I guess you know my concern is that that the inflation situation ends up uh, having that impact but the impact ends up tipping the economy into or into a a, a recession at, at some point maybe next year you know I think that's uh, the thing that's really on the market's mind when we see, uh, the the, the s p 500 down over two and a half percent on on the day when we see the the print like we did with the CPI this morning.
2: Yeah, so in terms of flow through, I think it's interesting you mentioned
4: Europe, um, Steve,
2: and I would kind of suggest that what they're seeing over there is probably even a a degree or two worse than what we're seeing here at home. Um, you know they've been really at the epicenter of this energy transition debate. And now I think that they're paying, unfortunately, a pretty high price for that, it seems to me. At the same time, they may have also been behind the curve. Their central bank, the ECB, which is actually has been around for as long as the Fed. Obviously, the ECB came into existence in the early mid-90s, I believe. And I think the inflation numbers that they're experiencing now are the highest ever in terms of what's happening, uh, inflation there. and Of course, that's, that's a smaller time period of, of uh, there's a smaller uh, period of time than, than us here at home. But I, I do suggest that uh, what's happening in the CB could be pretty um, pretty interesting to watch. We've been thinking that they would probably have to, they actually would likely um, fall into recession sometime this year. And for that reason, we've been trying to position portfolios away from, or maybe de-emphasize exposure there. You know, At the same time, I think we've also seen perhaps maybe some um, growing strains into their overall political apparatus. And uh, you know, again, we've talked about the fact that here in the United States, we're still pretty fortunate in the sense that the employment situation is still pretty benign. Brian mentioned in fact a small uh, uptick in uh, employment claims here in the United States, but uh, the employment situation for now anyway is staying pretty healthy, which gives, I think, the Fed a little bit of room to maneuver. The ECB, on the other hand, doesn't have that flexibility, uh, and they've actually, they have systemically higher unemployment than we do. There's also greater divergences in unemployment in many of their countries. So maybe, Rajiv, are you seeing any signs of stress inside um, the European arena right now?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think you're right, George. I mean, the inflation story is a global one. Uh, The ECB had a press conference uh, last week. Uh, They pointed to uh, inflation being on the upside. Uh, At the press conference, they pointed to a gradual but sustained path for further rate hikes. It's hard to be gradual there when you see those kind of inflation numbers. And uh, there's no news from them on quantitative tightening, uh, but they will end asset purchases on July 1st. And all the impact of what the ECB talked about during their press conference and then some of the uh, messaging that they've been uh, they've been telegraphing over the last few weeks has taken its impact on uh, on German and Italian bond yields. If you look at the German 10-year, it was up almost 10 basis points right after the press conference. We're around 1.5% on the 10-year for Germany. And the Italian 10-year was up almost 20 basis points to 3.7% post the ECB conference. So yes, it is a global story on inflation and the ECB has a lot of uh, wood to chop. Try to uh, bring inflation down over there.
1: So, Steve, in the same regard, you've talked in the past with us. Not only is gasoline getting a lot of attention, but food is also a larger contributor this particular month. And you've got a view on sort of the world food inflation opportunity. What are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I think that the food situation globally remains very concerning, um, and it has. It's not just the the fact that you know there's problems shipping grain out of Ukraine anymore. Um, It goes to uh, the whole entire supply chain for for feed grains in particular, um, which impact just about everything that we we eat. Um, If you look at the high natural gas prices, that impacts the production of ammonia and other fertilizers. Um, I've heard anecdotally that there are a number of uh, obviously farmers here in North America that have, have materially changed their planning intentions for the year because they were unable to get and procure the amount of fertilizer necessary to generate the types of yields that are needed in order to, to, to feed not only us, but the world. Um, when you think about it, uh, we we've become very reliant not only on mechanized farming globally, but also on on fertilizer in order to hit the uh, to, to 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 produce the food that's necessary to feed everyone. So um, the fact that we've got dislocations not only in, in the actual movement of grain at this point, but we've got problems with fertilizer. It's impacting everyone. So I, I think we've, we see it now starting to manifest itself in, in the numbers that people are seeing in the CPI. We're seeing it in terms of the stockpiling behavior on behalf of consumers that are able to do so. Um, I, I think that we're gonna continue to see this as we move through the course of the summer. Um, And and I don't throw around the F word uh, very lightly, but famine is something that I think that we are likely going to be hearing in certain countries as we move through the back half of 2022. And it's a very unfortunate situation, Brian.
1: Great, Steve. Thanks for that. Rajiv, are there any thoughts you have in the fixed income market? I know there's a creeping conversation coming back in about yield curve inversion if the two-year goes up and the 10-year does not. So where are we on spread, and what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, Brian, with that CPI print, we are seeing yields spike across the yield curve, especially in the front end. Uh, this, again, is pointing to the anticipation that the Fed will have to remain aggressive. Uh, we, we see the yield curve flattening on the print. Uh, we had uh, talked about 3% on the 10-year being somewhat of a resistance point. In other words, uh, over the past few weeks, whenever we saw uh, the 10-year go above 3%, we immediately saw demand and it pulled it back uh, below 3%. Uh, Now with this higher than expected CPI read, the 10-year yield has an easier time remaining above 3%. We're around 3.11% right now post the CPI print. We could even see the two-year climb towards 3% as well. So the shift across the front end is gaining momentum this morning. The two year is about 15 basis points cheaper on the day. Uh, we've talked about the prospect of an inverted yield curve over time. and uh, Well, now there's about maybe 12 basis points between a two-year treasury yield and a 10-year treasury yield. Uh, so that's pretty tight. So we could see that inversion again. The talks about a two and 10-year inversion are, are starting to creep up again. Uh, the question will be, will that inversion uh, happen? And if it does, will it be sustained? If you look at the five-year and the 30-year yield curve, that has inverted again after the CPI print.
4: Rajiv, hey, we're seeing, we're starting to see some signs of stress creeping into the high yield debt market again. CDXs for high yield, which are credit default swaps, are, are back very close to the high level, highest levels we've seen in 2022. Uh, while below 2020 levels, they are above 2018 year end levels, um, which was the last time we had a period of stress that did not include COVID. Um, Are you seeing any signs of, of, you know, some chaotic trading now starting to creep into the high yield market or things pretty orderly, Um, anything there giving you extra cause for concern right now?
3: That's a great question, Steve. And, and I think CDX is a good way to look at especially high yield. We've seen the cash bond markets kind of the orderly we've been leaking out wider on cash bond spreads for investment grade and high yield. But if you look at CDX, which as you mentioned, was a measure of risk, um, we have seen some whipsaw action in the CDX by, uh, for high yield. Uh, I think we were talking about this just a few, maybe a week or two ago, where we started seeing a little more calmer markets for the CDX. Uh, things started looking a little better, but not anymore. We're starting to see, uh, just along with all of the risk markets, it's really being becoming a uh, leading indicator for us to show stress on the markets. We are seeing a rotation out of high yield uh, into more up in quality trades. I think that's adding extra strain on the market. And especially if you break down uh, high yield in general, triple C's are really having a rough time at this point. so even within high yield you're seeing those holders of triple C that trying to move up in quality maybe even towards single B or double B. So I think this continues going uh, ahead of the 2018 levels is, is very concerning
1: so as we take all this into consideration, maybe the final question for today's podcast will be Given all this, how do we think we should be thinking about portfolio positioning for our clients? And let's start with you, George, and then go to Rajiv and Steve.
2: Yeah, thanks, Brian. I think it is important to try and drive some of these points home because I think the markets are very unsettling these days, obviously, and um, you know there's a lot going on that causes a great deal of consternation. Um, so I, I think if anything else, I would probably avoid making too many rash decisions, um, You know, particularly when the markets are down as much as they are, I think people uh, might have the instinct to... Try and do something and they might overdo it. So I wouldn't, I would advise not doing uh, anything uh, really bold or rash. It's probably not a bad time just to revise, and I'm uh, not really advised, but it's a time to revisit your financial plan and make sure it's kind of in line with what you are trying to achieve. Sometimes that might mean um, having an adequate cash reserve. So there's always an idea of maybe having three to six months worth of spending or, or perhaps more just to provide some um, you know, extra cushion. That's not a bad thing either. Uh, in this environment, you know we've, I think, been somewhat um, modestly def- defensively positioned. Um, we could probably get more defensive if we thought the risks of a recession were rising uh, materially. They still are uh, somewhat benign, although I think it's still maybe our view that maybe a chance of recession is still one in three. But you know, based on the inflation print today, it suggests that it might be moving up a little bit. We talked about the fact that yield curves are compressing, uh, spreads are widening on the credit space, which also suggests that, again, things are getting a little bit um, dicier out there. So I would suggest that it's a time to be uh, a bit cautious, perhaps, uh, really focus, as Rajiv talked about, on quality assets and sticking with a quality bias. We've also been hiding out a little bit in some of the value areas of the market uh, versus high growth and high momentum stocks. And I think those uh, those themes continue to work. And then I think at the same time, you want to be very diversified in your approach to portfolio construction. And, and for that reason, we've continued to advocate things like Real assets and uh, some alternative strategies that can be beneficial as well. So, it's a time to be cautious. It's a time to be um, uh, really robustly diversified, um, but I wouldn't be panicked either. At the same time, Steve, what do you think?
4: Well, they agree with you, George. I think that when you get into a market maelstrom, it's not the time to be making large-scale moves with your with your portfolio. That uh, is is better done in times when seas are calmer. Um, now you, is when you when you take time to to look at bigger pictures, more strategic things, as you mentioned.
2: You know, and eventually this will pass. I mean, that's something that we have to kind of keep in mind. I know there's been a lot of headlines and to some extent this could be a self-fulfilling prophecy when you've got major uh, CEOs talking about a coming hurricane. Right. But even hurricanes lead to some rebuilding. So eventually those, those things do result in some recovery and some repair. But um, again, uh, I'll flip over to you, Rajiv. Any closing thoughts from you on that point?
3: Yeah, I think we've been advocating for a while of uh, up in quality trades, high quality assets. I, I would continue to advocate that. I also feel that uh, uh, this is the time really to look for those opportunities and dislocations in the market where you can increase your ratings of your uh, fixed income securities. Also, you're looking at some of these issuers that are very well capitalized, very liquid, high quality names. Uh, if there's opportunities to uh, to look at those, I think this is the time uh, when when others are panicking and you're starting to see opportunity There are some high quality names out there that uh, look attractive at uh, certain levels here.
1: So George, Stephen, or Rajiv, thanks for your insights. We always appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by
0: the Key Wealth Institute. The key wealth institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities including key private bank key bank institutional advisors key private client and key investment services any opinions projections or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice this material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice bank and trust products are provided by key bank national association member fdic and equal housing lender key private bank and key bank institutional advisors are part of key bank Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency, USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with KeyBank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.